So, all right, let's begin here. Uh, we begin, folks, with a word from our two wonderful partners. The first one is professors1to1.com. Professors One to One is a team of experienced teachers, prep students, all right? And that you will learn how to take the MCAT, which you're going to be taking already. You already took it. What did you get? 99% probably? So that 99% basically. <laughs> SAT, NCLEX, LSAT. What the hell is the NCLEX? Whatever the NCLEX is, one-to-one -one professors will teach you. LSAT, GMAT, one-on-one -on -one online tutoring. This is a Muslim-owned company here. And what you're going to do is basically you contact them. And they will set you up with a Muslim tutor online, advanced high school courses, um, college level science classes, all tech tech courses. Oh, NCLEX is for registered nurses, basically. They're the registered nurse prep exam. Registered nurses become such a big thing. You know, back in the day, it was like, can you put a Band-Aid on? Boom, you're a nurse, right? <laughs> That's how it used to be way back in the day, yeah. right? My grandma was a nurse like that. Too. Yeah, you know how to I'm put a Band-Aid on? That, that's it. Putting the needle into, into the uh, uh, vein, that, that was it. After that, be nice, have bedside manners, and you're a nurse. But now, it's a big deal to be a nurse. they got to study so much, and some of them are allowed to give out medicines too. So if you're in high school, in intermediate school, you need – any kind of education and help in tutoring, Professors One-to-One -one is the place to go for you. Okay. Next sponsor, we have a partner here, Mecca Books. Uh, there is now a flat free shipping if you buy something for 75 bucks or more on Mecca Books. I just and got there, that. Huh? I just got the free shipping. From you me. got the free shipping? You used it? I got three books. Uh, oh, nice. Shifa, uh, Habib Omar. And then uh, Burda, so. Which book by Habib Omar? The one we read on Thursday. On uh, Introduction to Tisawuf. That's good. And also, if you want a nice aid gift, these shawls are actually amazing. These Yemeni shawls, they're really, they're really all-purpose use. right? And you can use these for, for Salah. You could wrap yourself up when you're going for Suhoor. Right? You wrap yourself up because you're all cold. Okay, And there's all sorts of really, really nice books here. Um, you can get a really nice uh, to have on your bookshelf as well as some kufis too. All right, so that's essentially, those are a word from our partners. All right, and we'll repeat that again and we'll put it in the comments section everywhere. And today we're on the ninth call. This book that we're reading from this whole month of Ramadan, The Call to the Believers. Call to the Believers. And it is... Most letters are get noon second and tenween follows the rules on ikhfa, uh, uh, of ikhfa, where the noon second or the tenween goes into your nose. Now I'm telling you, if you're a basic Muslim. If you want to get educated real quick, you need to know six rules. Six rules, that's it, of Tajweed. That'll at least get you somewhere. The four rules of Noon Second and Tanween, and the two rules of Med. Any Med of any vowel, you see that tilde? In Spanish, they call it a tilde. It's that long Med of an Elif, or a Waw, or a Ya. If it's before a Hamza, it's four beats. 
If it's before a shedda or a sukun, it's six beats. Like what? Like um, Surah Abasa. Or six beats before shedda slash sukun. Four beats if it's a vowel preceding a hamza. That's two rules right there. And then the four rules of noon second and ten week. If you know these six rules, right, which you could learn them in a day. Less than a day. And you can get all these from myarcview.org. Go to the free Tajweed class. Myarcview.org. You get all these rules. And that's it. These six rules, that's like 85% of Tajweed. Everything else is like less. Use much less. So, Okay. Here Allah says, give from the good that you have earned. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms that wealth is something that it belongs to him, but you may earn it and own it and give it up. But it is his possession, ultimately. He's, he's the creator of the wealth. Okay, so yes, you are the owner, but there's someone above that owner, which is the creator. Creator is above owner. So he has the right to tell you what to do with it. And you can earn it. And whatever you get from the earth. However, do not seek the bad and mix it with the good so that you can give that as charity. Do not go and give your worst stuff and you give that out the worst that means you take the good stuff a little bit of decent stuff cover it with the best uh, or take the bad stuff cover it with some good stuff then give that out to people they think it's good but in fact it's your cheapest stuff but he says All right you you would never take it yourself unless you would look away from it right you would you would despise it you would look away from it Uh, and no Allah is he's ghani, he doesn't need your charity and he's hamid, if you give good charity you'll get rewarded for it now, here's the most important ayah it's very important to know shaitan promises you poverty and that means it is something that if, shayt- if it's associated with shaitan it will never come from Allah Thoughts of poverty are never from angels or from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thoughts of poverty are always thoughts that are going to come from a negative source and they're always false. So this is so important because wealth and poverty, if you ask me, it's always a mindset, a mentality. If you ask me, when I see some people, and I was at a phlebotomist the other day getting blood work done, all her speech, to every customer, was about prices, right? I told the kids, you're eating cereal for dinner, right? Don't even ask for chicken. Don't even ask for uh, uh, me to go make some rice. Eat cereal for dinner, right? Uh, I'm not going out and spending gas to go shopping, spending gas and then buy shopping. No, you eat cereal for dinner. So what the lady was The phlebotomist was telling me, yeah. She's like, I'm a single mother. 
and and I got these kids and I said, just go eat cereal. Don't ask for for hot dogs. Don't ask for me to go shopping. So I'm like, okay, you you keep talking like that, right? So whatever you put your energy towards, it grows. That's the divine justice, right? From divine justice. And we have in the saying, in uh, Arab saying of the scholars, not just oh, Arab literature, from the scholars. Which means the qadar sometimes it is connected with the word that you utter, right? It's connected with a word that you utter. There was an amazing story about a judge where a judge was sitting, he was a guest at someone's house. And he's sitting there. All of a sudden, he just felt like so uptight and claustrophobic. Right? This has happened like, like in the last century, one of the stories of the last century. So he got all claustrophobic. He comes out. He says to the host, he said, excuse me, I just need to take a walk a little bit. Now, this story happened in a place where there was almost like, it was not a big city. So he walks out. He's taking a walk. He's just getting some fresh air. All of a sudden, he hears this crying. Here's this woman crying, right? And she's, she, he goes, she turns around, he says, what's wrong? She said, my husband, he's taking my kids. We're divorced. He took my kids. All I want to do is see my kids. And, he's, and, and she said, that, well, what did you do about it? He said, well, I filed with the court, but the court is taking forever, and I need to see my kids. You can imagine what kind of situation the mother is in. So he thought to himself, Subhanallah Radim, Allah bought the judge right to you while she's crying. Subhanallah, the heart of a mu'min when it's in distress and it turns to Allah, it's amazing what could happen. He said to her, Allah has bought you the judge right to you. He said, What's your case? Tomorrow morning I file it. And they did. Right? And he did. Subhanallah Radim, that the heart of a mu'min. At some point, if you have sincerity in what you're saying, and if you don't have sincerity, but you're repeating it, the repetition of it must indicate sincerity. If so, so if you don't know, if, am I sincere or not? Let's wait. Let's wait a couple, a period of time. So that's why, if you continue to insist upon something, it is divine justice to make it happen for you. So Shaitan promises you fakr. So don't speak this language that is against tawheed. Why is it against Tawheed? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he just said he's ghaniyun hamid. He is full of wealth. All, there's a hadith. Sheikh Rajab al-Deeb says in one of his lectures, okay, he talks about this hadith. He says, Mundu an khalaq as-samawati wal-ard. Kam anfaq? How much did Allah has given Mundu an khalaq as-samawati wal-ard? How much has Allah fed people? How many jinn? How many ins? How many birds? How many cats? have eaten and filled their stomach from the time that Allah created the earth. So why would you worry about poverty? I was sitting at the hospital the other day. No, just today. I was just sitting at one of the most beautiful hospitals, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Foundation, Cancer Research Center. Is that where you want to work when you grow up? <laughs> cancer? What do you want to work in? Uh, maybe like eye doctor. Eye doctor. Surgery. Okay. So Harris Amin is your guy then. You go take a... Tutorship under him, <laughs> tutelage under Harrison. Harrison does eye surgeries. So I'm sitting here and it's raining. And now the window, this is a gorgeous hospital. The window is really tall. You know, when you go to these hospitals and they're like, like almost like exquisite hotels, they make these hospitals so nice now, right? So I'm looking 
and water is streaming down, rain is streaming down. Now, you know that it's one of the signs of Allah Ta'ala that they, he say, states that he knows the knowledge, he has knowledge of every leaf when it falls from the ground. And every drop when it falls from the earth. Sayyidina Ali says Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala has taken an account of every single drop that falls from the sky to the earth. Except one time, which is the flood of Nuh. There was no counting. Psh. And Allah knows the numbers, but he did not assign angels to count them. And there's a hadith that the Prophet has in the, said that in the wilderness, there are angels counting the leaves on the trees and documenting their status. That means when, it, when, did, when did it come out? When did it fall? Now, anytime you're counting, there's always things. Like when does something become a leaf? And when is it considered dead? If half of it's brown, all of it's brown, like they, they must have that fiqh. There must be a fiqh. So I thought to myself, could you imagine having to document just one pane, one window, and this was a huge window, for a, a year? How many drops of water are going to come down? Now, there's so many factors. A drop of water falls. That drop, when it falls, you notice, though, it trails other drops. Are, do, they, do those count as drops? What happens when that drop, a next drop comes and it meets another drop and it unifies? So it was a drop for one and then it was, there were two different drops and they became one. It's mind boggling, just one pane of glass for a year, like how much accounting there would be. Okay. And then are you going to count it? Like, do we consider evaporation? Like, like where does this end? Or does it become a fall at the, a, into a pool of water at the bottom? I thought to myself, when Allah Ta'ala says that he counts it, I'm thinking to myself, are you seriously angels counting every leaf and every drop? Well, what does that tell you? What that tells you is that Allah's knowledge and ability is really infinite. Because you literally can, can you, our minds cannot fathom how many drops of rain will fall on a piece of glass for one year, let alone for the history of mankind. So that just tells you that Allah Ta'ala's his counting, the numbers, anything that comes to your mind is totally minuscule. It's not even going to be one uh, grain of sand in comparison to all the grains of sand in the world. So whatever you need of amount of wealth, it is readily available. People worried about bills and gas prices shouldn't be. The wealth is ready available. You first have to open your heart to that it is. It's out there. You secondly have to open to your heart that Allah is generous. Why do you think he would withhold from you? What would what would be gained from withholding from you? Like of all the humans and birds and dogs and cats that, and whales and sea creatures that have eaten in the past and all the wealthy that have accumulated wealth in the past, what is the value of withholding a little drop from you? It's not. It's that people don't have the mentality. So the question is now, well, how do I acquire this? Right? How do I acquire it? That takes a little bit of creativity and effort. But you don't say you can't. Because that mentality of saying you can't, I'm telling you, the only really lesson that you needed to learn in all of school is that little train that says, I think I can. Right? That one lesson, that book, that's pretty much everything else is a footnote to, edu to secular education. Right? That's the most important thing because that's what's going to stave off grief, depression, it's going to stave off crime. Why do you need to break the law to, to earn your money, right? Because you believe that you can't do it lawfully, right? 
that you can't be happy doing it lawfully. It's all based on a negative belief. Okay? So that's what negative belief comes from Iblis. Because it leads to so many crimes. Negative belief leads to crimes. Positive belief leads to productivity in the world. Okay? And happiness. See? Immediately after he's put the seed of poverty in your mind, he then commands you to do some sin. So the seed of lack in the mind of a person and the seed of impossibility, this is impossible, this cannot be done, is the precursor before he tells you go commit fahsha. Like, let's take an example. Man exists and he believes he will never marry the woman that a, a, a woman that is beautiful. So what does he do? He goes and does sins because he believes that's out of reach. Right? No matter what a situation is, why would you believe it's out of reach? That belief is your choice. Okay? That's your choice. Is it? It's not, nothing is out of impossible. If you zoom out of all of human history and see how much Allah has created and how many people have bizarre stories, amazing stories, like in scholarship, some people say, I'll never be a scholar. Wait a second. Are you, are you over 55? No, I'm not under, I'm, I'm 45, but I'm really busy. Yeah, but shit. I read that Sheikh Zakaria Al-Ansari, the great Shafi scholar, started his journey illiterate at the age of 55. I also read another story about a 70-year-old man, 70 years old. How much of life is gone? His whole life is gone. That's what you would imagine, right? If you hit 70 years old, you're pretty much saying, I'll pack up. I'm packing everything up and I'm ready to die. The 70-year-old man got insulted by a youth in Azhar when he spilled oil on him when he was changing the lamps back in the old days. Okay. The youth said, he said, uh, how old and still can't even fix the lamps, right? Right. He, he basically insulted him. That man went that day. He got really depressed at that statement. That depression lasted with him for a while. It was like upsetness mixed with sadness. What did I do with my life? Blah, blah, blah. I got these youth making fun of me. Allah must have sent him an angel to inspire him and whispered him, go register. He gets the courage. He shows up to the rector of Al-Azhar, the principal, and he registers. He signs up. Look at him. Like, he did. how many years of service did you do? Just register for free. Study for free. We'll cover everything. Right? He studies at Azhar for 10 years. Firstly, you didn't even imagine if he's going to live one or two more years. But something inside him said, well, die doing this. Die upon this. He studied for 10 years. He just kept living, kept living, kept living, right? In 10 years, he memorized the entire Quran. Not easy for a 70-year-old. He graduated, he finished Al-Fiyat ibn Malik. He finished the fiqh that whatever his madhab was in. And he took the other basic books of on usul and hadith and suluk and aqidah. But his specialty was Arabic. At the age of 80, he became a sheikh at Azhar. How amazing is this? At the age of 80, he was, think about it. If you study 10 years and you're hanging out every single day for 10 years, you're going to be a sheikh, right? You're taking the classes. It's not just sitting around. He became a sheikh. Okay? And his book was taught in Azhar until recently. He was a sheikh of Azhar for 10 years. Tell anybody you you're going to be a sheikh of Azhar for 10 years. It's a pretty good deal. Right? You'll take it. SubhanAllah. Also, it's not that far off. Uh, two of our teachers, both of them, you know, past middle age, yeah. in um, high school, 
mm-hmm. they memorized the Quran. Just I don't think they knew any before they started. Yeah, they finished the Quran while we were in high school, meaning like three or four years. And they they're teachers. Yeah, my aunt, she was around fifty years old, maybe fifty-four, when her uh, daughter got cancer, uh, leukemia. She got leukemia. That was the best daughter in the family. Like the whole family used to look up to her. She was a leader. She was a, uh, a, a very outspoken type of person. She got cancer. So as just to soothe it, her and her sisters signed up for the Quran uh, schools. And nobody really thought anything of it. These are literally, we're telling you, women who cook and watch TV. Their entire lives is spent cooking food, watching TV, talking on the phone about the family drama. That's all that they used to do, right? <laughs> I'm telling you. And, and I went, I was visiting Egypt one time. And I stayed at my grandma's house, but one of my aunts stays also at my grandma's house, right? So we're sitting there, and their huge drama broke out, right? Huge drama broke out. And I was like, wow, I showed up at the moment this huge drama broke out. I'm not talking to so-and-so ever again, blah, blah, blah. It was resolved. I was like, wow, thank God it was resolved. Three days later. Boom, another big drama broke out. I was like, oh, I think you guys are just picking basically. I figured it out. You just keep you're just passing the time with these dramas. <laughs> these dramas just a way to pass the time. Right? So anyway, she goes to the Makra Tuesdays and Thursdays, twice a week, just to read, and they think this is just gonna release her stress. And she starts going three days a week, then four days a week. Every night goes down for an hour. It's right next, right down the road. Ten years later, she's the teacher there. She finished her hips, she's the teacher there, right? And now more than 10 years have passed since that 10 years, right? SubhanAllah, right? There's there's no uh, uh, limit to these things. So it's all about, there are amazing stories of things that happen in the world. And let's say there isn't. Why not be the first one, right? Why not you? Why not you be the first one? So all this, wallahi, I'm telling you, is shaytan ya'idukum al-faqr. Shaitan is the only one promising you that you cannot do something. The message from Allah is optimistic. Comment, Ryan? Comment, uh, the, the, the perspective from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is he's wasi' on alim. He's wasi'. That means I have this desire, this thought in my mind. I want to be able to do this, this, and this. Allah is wasa. He can make it happen. He's vast. And he's alim. He knows how to make it happen. You don't know. What's the ayan where the latif, right? Where Allah takes what's dead and makes it living. Yeah. He takes the dead out of the living and the living out of the dead. In other words, he gives life to something and he gives death to something else. SubhanAllah the concept here that of, of of limitation is from Iblis. That's why Iman, it really does set you free from that limitation. When they say, oh, faith will set you free and stuff, it's just an expression. No, this is the real meaning of it. Right? It sets you free from these, these shackles that have been put on by Iblis. Because when he puts a limitation, then he commands you to commit a crime or a sin. Yeah. Nursi has an amazing thing. He says, the sins... Of every man reflect his desires. And if he were to, to believe that Allah could fulfill it for him, he wouldn't have to commit sins. But he doesn't believe that. That's a problem. He has weak faith. Strong faith allows you to expand your mind and believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he could fulfill what you're actually looking for. So you don't need to commit sins. That's a summary of the whole thing. 
All right, let's go uh, to the next ayat here. What time is it, by the way? Two o'clock. We only go an hour, by the way, in the uh, Ramadan streams. He says that don't give away something that you yourself would not receive as a gift. Okay. Without belittling and restraining it or disdaining it, he says. Scholars have disagreed about the meaning of infaq and say, not even Abi Talib. Ubad ibn Samit and Ibn Sirin agree that this ayah is talking about zakah. Talking about zakah. Others said, no, it's sadaqah. Al-Bara' ibn Azim, ibn Azim al-Hassan al-Qatada said it is obvious that the Quranic verse applies to voluntary charity. Sadaqah, tatawa. Okay. When making voluntary charities that you make sure you don't give something that you yourself would not. And the Sharia does not, the Prophet Sallallahu said, the Prophet Sallallahu said, do not give the, do not take the best of people's wealth, nor the worst for the zakat collectors. When there are zakat collectors, do not take the best or the worst. Okay. Uh, Shapreza, who was it? Shapreza, uh, I just sent you the website. I just put it in the comment section. Allah is independent of your expendable charities. By the way, don't don't get so excited when you give a charity. Allah, wallahu ghaniyun hamid. He's ghani. He doesn't need your wealth. Give it knowing that you are the beneficiary of the wealth. That's how we should give sadaqah. When you're giving sadaqah, you're the beneficiary. Don't say someone, don't think someone else. I'm benefiting now. Alhamdulillah, I'm able to give the sadaqah, get my sins removed. Maybe my dua will be answered. So who's the beneficiary? You. The other poor, the poor man, what did he get? A sandwich, right? What you gave? What did you give him? You give him something nobody else could have. Anybody else could have given him that, but you. You want your prayers answered? Only Allah could fulfill it. All right. So you're the beneficiary. Okay. And he's saying, "Ya wasya," the dua and the dhikr, "Ya wasya." If you two things that you think they're contradictory, but they're not. They're just, in, in your mind, they're impossible to come together. You have to say, Ya wasi'ah, Ya wasi'ah. Oh, Allah is vast. Wasi'un alim. Ya wasi'ah, Ya alim. In any verse, look at the divine names given in that verse. So in this verse, look at the divine names in this verse. Ya ghani, Ya hamid, Ya wasi'ah, Ya alim. Those will be the cures of the ills mentioned into that book, mentioned in that verse. Okay. So what are the, the ills in this? The ills here are people who don't want to give away from their stuff. So a little bit of stinginess. Stinginess is an ill an ill uh, uh, an ailment here and a sickness. As shaitan Bad thoughts about poverty. Okay. Bad thoughts about poverty. Temptation. Number three. And Allah's promising forgiveness, and you're going to get extra. Fadla means extra. That means what you need and more. So if you want forgiveness and you want extra from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what are the names that you're going to recite? Look at the names that are in the in the verse. 
right? And at the end, Therefore, the dhikr, Ya Ghani, Ya Hamid, Ya Wasi' Ya Alim, will solve the five things that we mentioned. The five ailments that we mentioned, this is how the shiuch did it. They extract the names from here. Ya Ghani, Ya Hamid, Ya Wasi', Ya Alim. Now, I still haven't figured out what is their method of determining the numbers. Sometimes it's by the number of letters. Sometimes it's the number of words in the verse. Still haven't figured that out. And sometimes it's by the abjadiyah. So again, to repeat these, it solves three diseases and it grants you two benefits. The three diseases that it solves is stinginess, uh, negative thoughts, temptation, following temptation, and it grants you forgiveness and wealth. Ya Ghani, Ya Hamid, Ya Wasi, Ya Alim. Right? So it's extracting the names from the verses. So that's why they're so it's so amazing. Surah Al-Fatiha. Ya Allah, Ya Rahman, Ya Rahim, Ya Rab, Ya Malik. Surah Al-Fatiha. Ayatul Kursi. Allah. Right? So, so everything that Ayatul Kursi is talking about by extracting the names from that and repeating them often. That's what's going to bring it. Uh, end of Surah Al-Nisa. Uh, sorry. Uh, end of Ali Imran. There's five dua. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fastajabala. Sayyidina Ja'far al-Sadiq, he says, each dua begins with Rabbana, 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 and then Allah says, we answered him. So Sayyidina Ja'far al-Sadiq says, in your dua, if you begin your dua with Rabbana five times, Ya Rabbana, 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 and then you make your dua, he says, your dua will be mustajab. SubhanAllah. This is, these are ulama of Quran. This is why they they knew what they were doing. All right, let's open it up to comments and questions. And we'll at this point, we will also mention our partners again. So we mention it now or at the end? Hmm? Both times because they're so good. Okay, good, good. Uh, Mecca Books, folks. Go to Mecca Books. Get some Yemeni scarves for yourselves. Uh, it's a nice gift that you'll get people. Um, great brothers. They also are Ihya Tours. If you want to go to Hajj and Umrah, Ihya Tours. Mecca Books. And if you need tutoring, someone is asking here, she needs tutoring. Okay. Well, you're going to go to one-to-oneprofessors.com. What is it? Professors one-to-one.com. Yeah, professors one and then number two and then one. Professor, I, I wrote it in here. And so you, you don't want to, why are we getting trounced by the Coptic kids and the Hindu kids? And the Chinese, Chinese kids forget about it. They're way beyond, right? We're getting trounced. We have a lot of Hindu kids and we have a lot of Coptic kids. Their scores, right? Their scores in everything. I think Oz is the only one who competes in the community, right? I'm serious. Ahmed Ali, Ahmed Ali's colleagues with them because all the Coptic uh, Christians, the Coptic Egyptians, they're all uh, the pharmacy kids. No, actually, the Chinese kids are slacking. Um, oh, they're they're getting too too. They're yeah, too fat. like especially yeah. the like the foreign exchange students is funniest thing yeah kid was sitting in front of me we're first of all i wasn't like the, they have a seating chart i was in the second row of this exam yeah and the kid is in the first row 
And what happens is that the teacher catches him. The kid has like a slip of paper behind his calculator. He's a foreign exchange student. Wow. And the teacher is like. Discovers that? Yeah, yeah. She discovers it because, you know, clearly the kid is not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know? Wow. And so she asks him, first of all, like, how are you going to get caught cheating in the first row? You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to cheat, don't say the first row. smart. Yeah. And she's like, like, what is that? And he's like, oh, oh, it's nothing. So she picks it up and she looks at it. And then she's like, no, this has like uh, equations and this has formulas on it. And he's like, oh, oh, I forgot about that. I was studying from it before I started. Really? And then she's like, oh, really? Who studies from their back of their calculator? (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. insane. He was so done. One one thing that's good, though, if, if maybe they're not doing so well in school, I know two foreign exchange Chinese guys who became Muslim now. Really? Yeah. Subhanallah. That's good. Yeah. They can tutor? Probably. Yeah, yeah probably. He, he's looking for tutors. Oh, yeah? Pass them on to Muhammad Rafi. Yo. Yeah, Muhammad Rafi's company. One-to-one tutors. Professors 121. It means one-to-one, but it's 121. Gorilla says, there's a sister. Her name here is Gorilla. Uh, this is Spanish, and I'm just not pronouncing it right. Yeah. She's saying, you mentioned desires. Men desires women women desire the men who cleans her pool what about the men desiring the woman who cleans her pool i guess if uh the women are now cleaning pools as a job it's rationally it? possible that's what we'll leave it's, that's yeah, it's, it's rationally, rationally possible, possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's rationally possible it is rationally possible that a woman is now the pool cleaner right <laughs> whereas it, the, it's weird there's some some industries is all men and nobody cares right like feminism has not cared about that yeah. yet right like the pool installation, go f- uh, gutter cleaning. Find me like the percentage of women to men. But feminism doesn't care about that territory. You go. You, you, you guys can do that job. Keep that job. Titi Ansari says, Sheikh, is the sin doubled if we miss a prayer during Ramadan like Fajr? If you miss Salat al-Fajr, whenever it is, if it's out of an excuse, for example, right? If it's an excuse, like you overslept by accident, the 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 type of skipping salah that is a major sin that requires uh, in, intentional repentance is intentionally skipping the salah what was the website for free tajweed class myarcview.org i'm going to type it in here myarcview.org I type it in there. Falling in love and harboring that love in your heart, but not acting on it. That's not only is it okay, it's shahada. You know that there's a hadith that says, Of course, it's like a flimsy hadith in terms of the chain, but the scholars say the meaning is sound. If someone, he falls in love with a specific person, he fell in love with her, but he withheld himself, and then he died upon that. That's shahada. Why? Because it's it's not doing something haram, not destroying society by getting involved in some kind of uh, sinful act. Not only that, you know that back in the day people had this ishq thing. They don't. It doesn't exist anymore. I'll tell you why. Like, uh, what's that famous story of uh, Layla and Majnun? Okay. So Layla and Majnun. Every old culture has one of these versions. Now, the reason that this madly falling in love, it used to exist, it doesn't exist anymore, is that 
you didn't see people often. So you may have only seen her, let's say, at a wedding, and she just passed by. And you're like, wow, she's beautiful. Then that memory sticks in your head. You only saw her at a moment on her best day when she was dressed perfectly, right? You don't know if she actually looks like that, but in your mind, she does. So you leave, and you wonder, who was that? It's growing in your head now, right? Now it's grown in your head. And you won't see her for two, three, another week. You don't know where she lives, where she is. There's no such thing as, you know, social media and all that stuff. And then you see her another time. So you hardly see her. This, this lack of seeing the person, this uh, scarcity, drives up your imagination. You're filling in the blanks. That's the reality. You're filling in the blanks. You don't know so much. But you see like a beautiful nose, a beautiful mouth, a beautiful forehead, silhouette, right? You're filling in the blanks with your imagination. That's what you're really falling in love with. And so the scarcity of seeing the person is the reason why this ishq and Layla and Majnoon. Majnoon hardly saw Layla. Like once or twice he saw her. But he fell in love. Ishq. Then he actually became a sickness. It's actually a sickness. And the scholars of the heart actually speak about this. They say that it, it can be, it's a sickness that can be cured. It can be cured by Salat on the Prophet right? and recitation of Quran. It can be cured within two weeks. And in, 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 uh, in psychiatry, they call it infatuation. And infatuation, if it lasts more than six months, you're in trouble. People have uh, a broken... Infatuation is a disease of the heart, or it's like a, a condition, you can say, of the heart, that people... It has done so much damage. I know two stories, two actual human beings, families, in the middle of life, like middle of like regular life, not at the beginning of their life, not at the end of their life. The guy gets infatuated. He left his wife, took the woman that he's infatuated with to another country, got married there, right? Then I think, I guess it just blew up in his face. His wife like divorced him out on the spot. I guess the woman was not what he expected. He It didn't last one week. He divorced her. And then he went back to his original wife. It's almost as if, and this is a medical doctor, it's as if insanity took over his mind. Right? And, and you, you know these people as normal, everyday people. Another one was pretty later in life, about guy, they're in their 50s, early 50s, and the guy just loses it. And he just leaves. I mean, I, I read about this one. He just left in the middle of life. Like you got kids in college, maybe one in high school, maybe one's a little bit older, you and your wife. And he just picks up and leaves. The, the mom was just going crazy. She literally almost lost it. Like, what, what is this? It's a sickness. The infatuation comes. He then, a year passed. And then I guess he was cured. He's like, I don't know what happened to me. I just, I sort of went crazy. And he went, apologized. They, they continued their marriage. She forgave him. All right. So infatuation and ishq, this is a type of thing that we have a solution for in Islam. There's no such thing as this type of... Uh, if this thing comes, I'm telling you, the dhikr done intensely over a period of time, it is a mathematical equation. You will be cured from this sickness. Right? Because that's the only love that won't disappoint you. Yeah. And also Allah has something called sakina. Your mind may say, I still love this person, but your heart will not be diseased, like taken over to the point that some people like literally they cannot exist. I have to be with this person now. I cannot exist, right? That will go away. Your mind may still say, yeah, I still, if I get a chance, I would still marry this person. 
right? Your mind may say that, but you're not going to be affected. Ryan, you want something to say? Someone asked, um, can you shed more light on the hadith? Souls are like conscripted soldiers. Does it justify yeah, so, romantic stuff? Uh, souls are like conscripted soldiers. Does it justify romantic stuff? It, that hadith is, is about everyone that you get along with and you don't get along. You click and you don't click. Some people just click with people and some people don't. Well, there's a lot of different reasons for it. Okay. One reason is probably behavioral. You could probably deduce the behavior of the person that this is why people don't like you. Everything's always about you. You never talk about the other person. Right. So that's behavioral. There's another part of it that is spiritual. And here the Prophet tells you the souls are organized in the heavens. The heavens tends to be imagined as a foggy place, right? It's just dreamy, but that's actually not how it is. It's a physical place that has, it has a gravity to it that people walk, right? Things fall down in it. Um, there's order. The souls are somewhere in the heavens. We don't know where exactly, but they're somewhere in the heavens. The souls are not floating around like Boca on a screen. You know, like um, the graphic, uh, like in, in, in movies, uh, you, or you, these clips when they put bokeh and there's lights floating around, yeah, yeah. really nice and romantic, but that's not how the souls are. The souls are organized in groups. They're organizing groups. So there may be, your group may be here. There'll be another group of souls way over there. The closer you are to each other in the heavenly world, when you come to this world, you feel you click right away with those people. And when you were in this world with somebody that was far away, you feel like you're oil and water. And it has nothing to do with your family. You're, you're, the way your family is now has nothing to do with that, that you are all souls together in the heavens. So you may not click at all with a brother. You were in the same womb. You came from the same mom and dad. But in the heavens, your souls were completely separate. You had nothing to do with, with your family life here. And so that's one of the reasons why you, you sit with somebody and you feel so comfortable with them. And you sit with somebody and you feel so uncomfortable with them. And maybe some people in the middle. Now, let me tell you something, though, about love. This is so important for you to know about love because many people are so worried about relationships and relationships are rocky, they're uh, unpredictable, etc. There's two types of love. There's this type of love of just getting along, right? We click together. We just feel like, like uh, uh, we jive together. Everything about us is together. And then there's the love that is fashioned. It's formed and is brought down through Sakina between you by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right. If you read Surah Ar-Rum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Anzala as-Sakina. Okay. That he brings down the love between you. So that love is predictable. That love is stronger. That love may not be the sweetest love. Okay. But it is predictable. It's, it's, it's solid. And it's accessible to anybody. And that is if both parties have taqwa. If both parties have taqwa. Okay. Then... Allah Ta'ala will create a bond of love between them. They may not get along personally. In other words, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to hang out with the guy. But we love each other, we get along. Why? Because in our interactions, both sides has taqwa. 
both we fear he fears Allah regarding me, I fear Allah regarding him, and Allah brings down a taqwa. That is the what every healthy marriage can have. As for your personalities clicking or not clicking, that you may have that, you may not have that. And here's the problem: if you base your relationship on we click, right? You may, but if you have different beliefs and different morals and different everything else and different behavior, you're eventually going to have a conflict and you're going to hate each other. So you can potentially hate each other. But when two people have taqwa towards one another, that will never happen. So that's really important for people to understand and realize in friendships, work, marriages. If you have taqwa, you, you fear Allah regarding this person. Respect, right? The rights of this person and know they're a creation of Allah. That Allah will defend if you mess around with them. Be considerate of them out of taqwa. Then Allah will build a bond between you that is uh, uh, that nobody can break because He's protecting it. I have a question. Yes. So what does it mean when Allah says wa khalaqnakum We created you in pairs. Wa khalaqnakum Um What is the meaning of that ayah? Well, we know what the linguistic meaning is, but we have to look at what is the context of that. We created you in pairs. Does that mean in Jannah? Because there's nobody single in Jannah. No mawadda iftars in Jannah. Right? Okay. Everyone is married in Jannah. Yeah, maybe that. So we have to look at what the context to, to, to know exact tafsir. Of course, linguistically, we created you in pairs. But it all we created you in pairs also means the human being in general as male and female. Yeah, that's the other meaning. We created you in general as a pair of male and female, as wajah. There's no third option, right? <laughs> and there is a third option, but consists of an admixture of the pair that we can't tell which one you are, right? That's that's the idea of the khunta. Adeline, uh, Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin Joham says, you spoke about an optimistic view when beseeching Allah. How do we reconcile that with unanswered du'as? Very, very easily. Unanswered yet. Been unanswered yet. If you stick with it, you will end up satisfied. It's a guarantee from Allah Ta'ala. Stick with it. You will end up satisfied. More than happy. And the sign that Allah has given you something else instead of it is that you yourself admit it, right? You said, I had made dua to get into Cambridge, but alhamdulillah, I got into London. And London ended up being way better. I'm so glad I didn't go to Cambridge. That's You said it, right? So that's the sign that Allah gave you London instead of Cambridge. He answered your dua. You prayed for Cambridge. He gave you London. You realized that was better. So you said, alhamdulillah. That's a sign that he did answer your prayer. You stick with it. And say it hasn't been answered yet. Okay. The timing is, is from Allah. Can you give sadaqah into someone's bank account without their knowledge? Yes. Specifically, if they said they don't want money from you, but you do help them. Yes, you can do that. What was the name of the website that sells quality tasbih beads? Basmala beads. This is Idris. Basmala beads. And by the way, they have that $500 bead. It's like a rock, a certain type of jewel, I guess. Yafa D says, Sheikh, should I still keep my fast if I'm flying out in the morning to another East Coast state? If you are flying before Fajr and you leave your home before Fajr, so you're literally in the process of traveling before Fajr, you can break your fast. If you are at the airport and you're leaving your home 
in the area of your neighborhood after Fajr, you must keep your fast. Should we fast for three days or give kafara for broken oaths? What's the difference between promise made to Allah and an oath? I'm going to go to get do all the oath stuff at once. Yep. I'm going to do all the oath stuff at once because there's a lot, there's some different differences there. Escaping purgatory says, Salam, I have missed prayers, years of missed prayers to make up. Which sunnahs can I pray and which not? Tarawiyah, istikhara, the sunnahs that have names, tahajjud, the rawatib, uh, the, the, the rawatib and nawafid between like two after Maghrib, four before Asr, four after Dhuhr, etc. Don't do those if you have makeup prayers. Is it true that humanity during the time of Prophet Nuh was one race? Yes. One race, one language, one everything. All right, Ryan, what you got? So if shaitan is chained during Ramadan, does that imply that any negative negativity we think or feel during this time is mostly attributable to ourselves? That's a good point. Um, when Ramadan comes, it's a re revelation that all of our evil is from ourselves. You cannot blame Iblis now anymore. Not blame shaitan. Because the shaitan uh, are all trapped. In this time they cannot do anything so all of our sins is from us don't blame anyone else sophia 414 i'm currently grieving the loss of someone close to me i need help some insight would be very helpful to me um intensive dhikr will ease that pain it's not going to wipe the memory or anything but it will ease your pain a little bit intensive remembrance of allah intensively remember allah as much as you can recite the quran make salah on the prophet listen to the quran make dhikr and dua intensively like long stretches of time constantly all day be obsessed with this and it will ease your heart because sakina will come down and it will ease your pains the anxieties of the awliya is never truly in their heart it's just like something they know it's like, I know I have this, but it doesn't affect, they have like a, an oil almost that's over their soul that the, the water doesn't mix with. The acid rain of anxiety does not mix with that oil, right? They, they, they're, they're covered. So intensive dhikrillah. How do we know, says Ayalev, I love to teen. Okay. I don't know how to read these names. Aya lev tentine. Okay. That's how you do it. How do you know if it's love for the sake of Allah or infatuation? Love for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tends to have a sign to it. it. It tends to have a sign. And that sign is that uh, it, something will happen where you're not the beneficiary. You have loss. So if I love somebody for the sake of Allah, I'm going to know that when his interest contradicts my interest and I choose his interest first. So for example, I love you for the sake of Allah. If I need this hundred bucks, but you need the hundred bucks and I give you the hundred bucks. So there is, there has to be some kind of circumstance, an objective circumstance where my interest and your interest clash and I choose your interest. That's love for the sake of Allah. That, or that's how it's that love for the sake of Allah is revealed is demonstrated. Yeah. I remember one time I forget, maybe this was on a Thursday class. You were talking about mm -hmm. 
how how can you tell if something is like from the dunya or not? And it's like if it were taken from you. Yeah. Some, how do you know that something is is a bad attachment, is negative, and is dunya for you? If it's taken away from you, you you have a, a commit sins. That's one level. Or you get extremely, extremely sad to the point that it disrupts your daily life. And we're not talking about family here. We're talking about stuff. All right. Uh, dunya is that which distracts you from Allah. If it's taken away from you, that will, we all say, no, it doesn't distract me from Allah. Okay, let's see what happens when I take it away from you. If you commit sins, then it definitely was dunya for you. If you really collapse and suffer in a way that is not even appropriate for a mu'min, for losing some object of the dunya, then we know that your attachment was not correct. There is always attachment between us and stuff, but is it the correct attachment or not correct attachment, right? I may be, I may love something, but I treat it as Allah's gift to me. And I take care of it. I like it. It makes me happy. But I always believe that is Allah's gift to me. What's going to reveal the truthfulness of that? The moment I lose it. It gets stolen from me. What do I say? Okay. Qaddar Allah ma It's Allah's will. I had it for a while. I enjoyed it. I'm a bit sad that I lost it. But I always believed it was from Allah. And Allah may take it away if he wants to. Right, but that doesn't stop you from going to try to get it back and getting justice, but that's your emotional reaction to it. All right, Kala White says, uh, there is no zakat on jewelry, correct? That also include 22 karat gold jewelry, correct? Is that Hanafi fiqh? No, I don't know about the Hanafi fiqh on that. I remember, I don't want to talk about Hanafi fiqh anymore because we had <laughs> got told off for speaking about Hanafi fiqh. I'm sorry, I don't want to get told off about the Hanafites again. Uh, how do you increase your conviction while making du'a since conviction is needed for acceptance? Conviction for du'a is by contemplating Allah's attributes. Contemplate those attributes, then contemplate yourself standing in front of that creator. Right? Contemplate those attributes. He's capable, he's able, he's powerful, he's generous. What I'm asking for is minuscule. It doesn't make a difference. There is no big and small with Allah. And then you have to imagine yourself standing in front of your creator. All right, next question. Is there any way I can DM questions? Yes, you can send a DM. On the matter of love, can we make dua to marry a certain person and make dua that Allah puts love in their heart for me? It's not going to be haram, but in general, I have heard many, many Scholars say, when it comes to love, don't specify this person. Specify their attributes, and Allah knows best. Okay, Allah knows best about that. Dunya Traveler says, in primitive societies, if primitive societies are closer to the fitra, why don't they have haya and modesty in their dress? The primitive societies, we don't consider that 100% close to the fitra. It may be just like children, and that's why right? they don't dress. I don't think that they're lewd. They're just literally childlike. There's a big difference. Like Times Square is lewdness, right? There's lewdness there. And like the Aboriginal peoples, I don't think that they're being lewd, right? They're just like children. If you leave children, they walk around naked, right? So that's what it. What did you think, by the way, as of the Times Square Tarawih? I don't know. I like. I just saw pictures of it. 
I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's some people say like this is ridiculous because there's nakedness all around. And some people are saying, well, at least people are hearing the Quran for the first time. Allah Adam. So is it disrespectful for the Salah and for the Quran? That perspective, I can get that perspective. Mm -hmm. You're disrespecting the ibadah by doing it right in the middle of all this nakedness. Yeah. And there are literal naked people. You know, those people who dress up, they paint themselves. There's an area where you could body paint yourself naked in Times Square. I mean, it's sort of ridiculous. But um, from that aspect, I get that aspect. But also remember, there's a saying of the scholars that the innovators and ignorant people end up sometimes doing good dawah mm -hmm. because they're actually ignorant, right? I'm not saying these people are ignorant. Yeah, we don't have to participate, but it's like it's going to happen whether we like it or yeah, not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that those people are ignorant, especially the imam who led the prayer. He's got a very great recitation. He's, I think he's local. But I'm not saying they're ignorant. I'm not saying they're imuqtada for sure. But I'm saying that they went and did that, which most people maybe would not have done. But it probably, I'm sure someone heard the Quran, someone thought of, saw the prayer, and was impressed by it. I'm sure someone will benefit from it. So. And the Prophet would pray in the, in the Masjid Haram, right? Yeah. When the he would pray in the Masjid Haram. You could say maybe that's Darura because it's a mosque. Uh, and it is the house of Allah first, and it, there was no choice. They had no choice. But there you purposely went into the middle of the belly of the beast. Dunya Traveler, uh, we answered that question. Ryan, do you have any questions? Uh, yeah. It makes me think of another thing, though, uh -huh. real quick. Because like, I remember in YM, they, they have like a, a youth group in, in Las Vegas. Yeah. And it's like... They're in like their meetups are probably like in Las Vegas, but yeah. it's like if in America, you know, you're gonna get it any, anywhere. You might as well just, yeah. you know, do what you're gonna do. Do do it. Like be yourself, anyways. Yeah, I can get the perspective of promoting it that people need to see the Quran. They'll need to see the right or hear the Quran. I should say, see Salah. Go ahead. How come I still listen to my Quran whispering in Ramadan, and the other day I had a nightmare, which comes from Shaitan. It could, Allahu Adam, Allahu Adam. It could be you're just from the nafs, right? Nightmares, by the way, are not all the same. Some nightmares are past thoughts, fears that you have. It's not always from shaitan. And some nightmares are meant because your body is not in a healthy position. And your own body is sending you a bad vision, anything to wake you up so that you could fix your body. You can adjust your body. That's actually, I've heard many that many dream interpreters give that interpretation, especially like righteous praying Muslim. Like, how are they having these nightmares from shaitan? It's not. It's actually like something in the mattress or their back or something. And their body is just sending something, anything to make, to wake them up. Wallah, Adam. This is all uh, uh, speculation. But it's a speculation that I think makes some sense. And this person did have a case where his neighbor came to him and complained that, she's seeing nightmares she can't stop seeing nightmares and he said how when you pray and you fast and you're always re reciting the quran she said i don't know i see these nightmares she came back i still see nightmares he said it must be not a nightmare from shaitan but rather your own body telling you that you're not sleeping right and so fix your bed fix your situation and see if the nightmare continues or not and she did that and the nightmare stopped do we have to make up with it if we're making up years of past prayers? No. Does listen to the Quran has the same re reward of tilawah? Yes. 
Oh, hey, Oz, can you click that, please? Okay. On the topic of love, can we make du'a to marry a specific person? We, we've mentioned that, that I think that, um, yes, but some scholars have uh, said, mentioned, if he's good for me, because you just don't know. All right, Sophia414, is it okay to visit the deceased if it's someone I did haram with? Um, I don't know about vis a woman visiting a strange man. I don't think it'll be haram, per se. I don't think it'll be haram. Sophia414, we did uh, mention your comments and your questions before about... Let's see what it was. Yeah, we did mention your comment. So currently grieving the loss of somebody and you need some help. So what what I said here was intensive remembrance of Allah. Listening to the Quran in headphones for a long time. Doing dhikr for a long time. Reciting the Quran for a lot of uh, pages and juz. Intensive remembrance of Allah. Give it two weeks. You're going to be a different person. Guaranteed. I don't uh, visiting someone who is not who your husband or or brother or dad is not sinful. I've never seen anyone say that's sinful because that person is deceased, right? It's oh, someone who's permitted. passed away. Yes, dead. Visiting somebody dead in the graveyard. It, that I don't see that that's sinful. No. Iblis was at the Battle of Badr, and Badr was during Ramadan. Yes, but maybe the Tashri'ah of Ramadan hadn't come yet, right? The Tashri'ah of Ramadan had definitely had not come yet. Right? Battle of Badr is second Hijra. So maybe that locking up of Shayateen began in the month of Ramadan during the, uh, after the fast was made obligatory. I'm his best. Ryan, what you got? Aisha says... Until yesterday, I broke my fast when the Adhan went off on my phone, and they've been doing it for three years now. Um, is that incorrect, and do they need to make up fasts or pay fidya? No, you, 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 there's no kafara for sure if you have a, a mistake in the calculation of times, right? There's no kafara for that. But the question is now... Um, that using the phone is also not necessarily forbidden, but if you discover that that calendar was wrong, then you just oqada for that day. Dana twenty twenty says, "What are signs that you are loved by Allah? You love to seek knowledge. You love to seek knowledge, and you love to act upon it." Yaz, you have juice. I say it's Ramadan. Disconnect. No, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, so this is a Go. From Kenza. Mm -hmm. Speaking of nightmares, should seeing one of the awliya, like Habib Amr, uh, angry at us in the dream be taken as a sign that there's something amiss in our lives? It could be, and it could be from Shaitan too. Or just a wrong dream messed up by your nafs. 
anything I was told, anything that separates between you, you and the righteous makes you dislike the righteous or scared of the righteous is from Shaitan. Or it's a false dream. We love a blessing so much and want to keep it. Is gratitude going to make it last? Yes, according to the Quran. If you're grateful, I'll increase you. Have you heard about the Mujarrab practice of reciting Yasin 41 times to achieve a particular desire? I have, but I'm calculating the amount of time that would take. Like in one sitting? How long is that going to take? Three hours? How many times? 45 times? 41 times. Surah Yasin. Yeah. People were saying the Tarawih in Times Square was performative. Performative. I'm sure they were sincerely praying, right? But they're displaying the Salah. So my issue would be the sanctity of Salah and Quran. Is it disrespected? Allah knows. Yeah, you could say that it was, right? You, I can understand the people who say it is. I can also understand the people saying, everyone needs to see ibadah, see the Quran. I can understand both sides. Sayyidina Yus Yaqub cried for years after losing his child. We should see this as rahmah, mercy. The mercy of longing for being with a loved one. Ibn Tabrus Tarablo says it wasn't, it was an unnecessary extraness. I guess it, maybe he's talking about the Times Square. Aya Levitantin. Are you from Levant, Shem, Syria? So, because she's saying the Syrian scholars say it. Yeah, seen 41 times, but in one sitting? That's too, like if you say it six minutes, say it takes you six minutes, it'll take you two for 240 minutes, right? That's, that's, that's four, four hours. Yeah, four hours. Four hours. Surah Yasin? Yasin? No, no yeah. way. I mean, if you're saying it 41 times, yeah, I guess you'll get quick at it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. How can, you how can you place in your heart both love and fear of Allah without letting one affect your behavior more than the other? The love is for Allah's approval and his acceptance of your dua. The fear is for his disapproval and that he does not accept your dua. Go ahead. Sunshine says, my mosque prays Shafi and Witr after Tarawih. Can I still pray to Hajjid after Witr? If I want to pray to Hajjid, do I have to pray Witr again? If I prayed Witr, can I still pray to Hajjid? Yes, you can. Do you have to pray Witr again? No. Would it, so if you're planning on later night prayers, would you still join that uh, Witr Jamaah? If you fear that you're going to miss your Salah, your witr, then you pray witr. But if you're certain and confident you're going to be up again, then you delay your witr. So even if you're watching the message pray in Jamaah? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cozy Chloe says, when you say intensive dhikr, could you elaborate? Like an hour, for example. It's very solid dhikr. An hour, nonstop. That's, a, that's great. That's great. And then a little bit again at night. Or all day, all day in my ears. At any minute, you really have to become obsessed with it. But at one hour of sitting for dhikr is amazing. And different adhkar. A little bit of tasbih, like la ilaha illallah. Then recite Quran a little bit. Listen to Quran a little bit. You can change it up. Can you offer fatiha and, and offer good deeds to someone who is a non-mahram? Yes, you can. I, I uh, Maham says try ruvza. I have ruvza. The people in my house say it's not healthy. <laughs> right? 
Do we get more reward if we break our fast with dates and milk? Yes, you do. It's a sunnah. If we are four people praying Surah Yasin 41 times, it probably takes one hour and a half. Okay, if you're doing it in a group, I guess. It's common in Pakistan to recite 41 times. Any significance to repeating Hasbi Allah and Amr Waqid 450 times? It is significant, but I don't know why. The ulama all say, I've heard them all say, Hasbunallah and Amr Waqid, if you have to recite it, 450. I don't know where they got it from, but they're trustworthy scholars. So well, what do I have to lose, right? Dunya Traveler, can dua for a deceased person save a person who would have otherwise destined Jahannam? Yes. How to deal with intense nostalgia? Paint a beautiful picture of the future for yourself. Imagine a beautiful future. That solves the problem of nostalgia. Do you know of any Arabic classes in Toronto? What about Seeker's Guidance? Right? Aren't they in Toronto? If you had a fallout with a friend and we do khidma for others, can that wipe away the wrongdoing? Yes, but it's better to also do something related to that friend. Maybe speak good of them, make, make dua for them, etc. Is the khatam tarawih sunnah? No, it's not sunnah. It's like a bid'ah that is uh, a fadila. It's a fadila that to do all of tarawih from Baqarah to Nas. But we actually, in the history, don't find that the Sahaba did their tarawih that way. They just recited from anything. Right, but we all the Muslims today we agree that that is a good thing to do a khatam in the tarawih. All right, a couple more. H Baz three sent makes dua for you guys. Man, thank you very much. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? Any advice on inter-Sunni disputes on aqidah and how to determine which opinion to follow? Inter-Sunni disputes on aqidah. You go by what Jawharis and Tawheed is. What is and the explanation? Tawfat al murid. Bajuri's Sharh and Jawharis Tawheed is going to be your falsehood. It's going to be your referee. I've never seen anyone speak against that book or say that has mistakes in it. And it's covered a lot. I read from that book all the time. Like I'm always reading from that book. Bajuri's Sharh and Jawharis Tawheed. All right. Anything else, Ryan? Yeah, last question. Yeah. What is the best dua at Suhoor and Iftar time? The best dua at suhoor and iftar time is the dua that will move you to ibadah and move you away from sins. Whatever mo that ibadah, that dua that will motivate you and move you away from sins and towards goodness and righteousness and ibadah, that's the dua for you. All righty, folks. Again, we thank you. And meccabooks.com. Professors 121, one digits 121.com uh, are our partners, so we thank them as well. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruku wa ilaik wal asr. Inna al insana lafi khusr. Illa al ladina amru amnu salihat. Wa tawasub al haq. Wa tawasub al sabr. Wa salamu alaykum.